Welcome to Still Becoming, a podcast about how it's never too late to become more free, more yourself, or try something new. I'm Monica DiCristina, a wife, mother, and practicing psychotherapist. Through my own struggles with my anxiety years ago that led to my professional work as a therapist now, I am fascinated by the process of how we become who we are. We will explore the topics of becoming, of unbecoming, and overcoming through interviews, unpacking mental health topics, and stories. You are not designed to stay the same. Your story is still being written. We are all still becoming. I am so excited and so honored to have Molly LaCroix on the Still Becoming podcast. Molly is a licensed marriage and family therapist, an author, and a speaker. And today we dive into many things, including the integration of psychological information and Christian faith. We also talk a lot about a psychological theory that Molly has been practicing in for years called internal family systems. Now, some of you may be familiar with this idea. Some of you may not. And one of the best books, if you want to dive deeper on it, is not only Molly's book, which I will link in the podcast notes, but is also a book that she references called No Bad Parts by Dick Schwartz. And what I love about the way Molly teaches about this model and about her own take on the model with her integration of her faith is that it provides a way for us to interact with our internal world and our interpersonal relationships without shame, but instead with curiosity and with compassion, which is a foundation for any kind of healing and any kind of healthy relationship with ourselves or with other people. I cannot wait for you to hear from Molly. She's one of my favorite people to learn from, and I'm so honored and excited that you guys will get to sit with her and learn from her too today. Well, Molly, it is such an honor to have you. You are one of my first um, therapist internet friends, and um, I just have so much respect for your wisdom, for your work, for your writing, and I'm really excited for you to to be with us today and hopefully for listeners not only to learn something about what you do, but also to learn something about themselves. So thank you so much for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, we. You're, it's so fun to make an internet friend connection. Yeah, it is. It really (laughs) is. For all of the uh, perils of social media, the benefit or friendships you wouldn't have otherwise. Absolutely. I completely agree. Um, Well, so tell us a little bit about you and about um, what you do, about the book that you've written. I know you're working on other things as well, but tell tell us a little bit about yourself and, and just all the things that you have been up to that lead you up to today. Sure. Well, I am a licensed marriage and family therapist, and I received my master's degree from a seminary. So we were trained to integrate secular models of psychotherapy with just through the lens of scripture and um, theology. And so I've always um, had a number of people in my caseload who identify as Christian because of that. And the book was really inspired by hearing them talk about turning to their spiritual communities for support, whether because relationships were difficult or they were experiencing some kind of mental health symptoms, and and then hearing that they weren't helped. 
And I just kept hearing this and I, they spoke to colleagues who were, we were in a group practice together, similar training. Is this happening to you? They said, yes. And it's just my nature. I, I love to teach and I had, um, you know, as, as therapists were trained in, in many modalities, but I had been trained in internal family systems and had made that my primary modality, partly because it integrates beautifully with Christian spirituality. And I felt like if I can bring this model into, um, you know, spiritual communities, perhaps this can help with what people are experiencing. So that was really the inspiration for the book. You know, something that I know I've talked about before um, personally is I went, you know, I was not getting mental health help. You, you know, this is years and years ago when I was a, a young person. <laughs> I was mm-hmm. not getting mental health help in the church and it inspired why I went into becoming a therapist. And I encountered that also um, less and less so, thank goodness. But, you know, that, that I feel like that's changing. But I think you're naming something really important in I think that oftentimes there's an impact for people that are going to churches and not getting mental health help or being shamed for the symptoms that they're having. You know, what are, what, if someone's listening and they resonate with this in their background or they resonate with this presently not getting the help they need in a church as far as their mental health, what would you, what would be important for you to start to tell them? What would you want them to know? This model that I use really gives us a lens for both understanding ourselves and understanding the reaction that we're receiving from people that we thought would be safe to talk to about our struggles. And that is because, um, as the name implies, internal family systems, the researcher that developed this model discovered that the family dynamics that we're trained to see as marriage and family therapists were happening inside of us. And this idea that we are multiple is not pathology, as some people fear. It's how we were created, that we have different parts of us with different roles and responsibilities. And most of us speak this way routinely. Part of me wants to go on vacation, but another part of me is worried that if I take a break from work, I won't be able to pay the bills or Those dilemmas are are alive inside of us on a daily basis. As this researcher just listened with open curiosity, instead of with an idea of what should be happening, (laughs) discovered not only these different parts of us, but discovered that as different parts are encountered and witnessed and they tell their stories and they release their burdens there are healing resources that exist in each of us, no matter what we've experienced in life. And that was a real mind blower. It is very congruent with the idea that we're created in God's image, that God would endow us with resources to reflect God's image. But in secular psychotherapy circles, this was not supposed to be the case. And so it really was a radical uh, new perspective. And so you know, so much hope and for healing lies in knowing that. But if someone has struggled in the in their spiritual community, they're going to take on burdens in their internal system, pain of distressing emotions and, and beliefs like, oh, I must not be worthy of grace. I must not be lovable because this place that's all about grace and love isn't loving me. So I, it must be my fault. 
And they're up against a part of the system we call protectors. So when we turn to people for support and we get judgment, or we're told, well, you just don't believe the right things, or you should do these things, we get advice. Those are all protective strategies to block the vulnerability of just being with someone who's suffering. It is just such a rich answer, Molly, which I'm not surprised sitting with you. (laughs) There's so many different layers here, but for the person, you know, who is in struggle, knowing that they do have the resources within them from God to find healing, but what they're encountering in someone else who has perhaps failed to be able to meet them, they're encountering resistance that is someone else's stuff, someone else's parts that is uncomfortable with the vulnerability that they're sitting with. Is that that's right. I mean, but there's Great a lot summary. more there's a lot more Great in there summary. that you said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that the person who's sharing and, and who is in need is not unworthy. They're just encountering resistance or some kind of protective part in the person they're trying to get help from. That's right. And we all have these uh, parts of us who adopt protective strategies to get us through the inevitable adversity of life. And I talk a lot about uh, kind of a continuum from nominal distress all the way over to complex trauma. And all of that influences our system. Each of us are individual. A lot of times people don't endorse, well, I haven't experienced trauma, but if you're human, you've experienced adversity. And that shapes what our our internal system has to do to survive and to adapt. And so that even, that adaptation is a gift of God as well. It's just that some of these strategies that serve us at a point in time can really impact us at later points of time. And then we realize, we might name those as symptoms, and we realize hmm, my relationships are out of whack because I'm trying to do everything for everybody all the time and my needs aren't ever met. So I'm walking around full of resentment or maybe even rage. Right. And it's because a part of me decided maybe at a young age, if I don't take care of everybody around me, I won't be safe. It's all about safety. So we, when we notice these things going on, we we can befriend these parts of us and learn more about why they're doing what they're doing. And that really was another piece that drew me to IFS is because it is fundamentally all about relationships. I love the compassionate way that you frame things that we may not like about our behaviors today as really necessary adaptations that we developed as children to survive certain things. I think that that is such a, I hope people all take that away today. You know, that if you are anxious, if you are over accommodating, if you are a people pleaser, if you are struggling with anger, there are these things developed at some point because you needed them. That's exactly right. And it's a game changer for people to understand that. And often people feel a shift inside. Oh, like there's nothing wrong with me. I had to do this. And, And it also really helps people to understand it's a part of me. It's not all of who I am. Someone has a raging internal critic. They probably have another part of them that beats them up and shames them for it. Because maybe that criticism isn't just extended to themselves. It's they're criticizing the people around them, too, because these parts of us will do whatever it takes to keep us safe. And if I proactively criticize other people, 
and I proactively criticize myself, that keeps me safe from new shame that might, by being found inadequate in some way. Tell us more, you know, someone's listening like, okay, wait a second. So I am, I exist apart from these parts of myself, like the, like the critical parts of myself or the raging parts of myself. I exist, or the anxious parts. I exist apart from those parts. Tell us more about that. I think that that is also so grounding, so empowering, you know, that combined with befriending those parts that are difficult for you. Can you tell us more about how we are not just that part and then a little bit more about befriending that part? Sure. Well, I encourage people to think of it as a community where these different parts of us are members of the community, but there is also a leader. And the leader in this model, for lack of a better term, we simply call self. And self is endowed with these healing resources. And the researcher named eight C qualities like curiosity and calm, connection, creativity, etc. But they're really all the different ways we manifest love. So if we think of this, our soul as, as being inherently loving, and again, being created in God's image, we say God is love, then of course, our most fundamental way of being is loving. And, and none of us can do that for more than about five minutes at a stretch. <laughs> right. <yeah. laughs> because right. we have all these parts of us who had to adopt roles to get us through life. So, so we, we have, you know, if we have this image of a community with this leader who has these wonderful qualities, then we can easily go to the next step, which is, well, when we can build relationships between the leader of the system and these different parts, starting with the, the protective layer, and then we move to the more vulnerable, tender stuff, those parts of us holding those wounds. But we start with the ones who are trying to help us function in the world, whether that's through managing how we appear and trying to control everything about us, or it's there's a troop of them that if we're, if we're triggered and the pain surfaces, they will rush in. We call them firefighters because they will rush in to douse the flames. And, you know, firefighters don't care when they spray water all over the house that all the furniture is ruined. Sure, sure. They got to put out the fire. Yeah. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. right. So our internal firefighters aren't too worried about the consequences of their behavior. They just want to protect us from the pain. So, so we have, we make friends with them. Curiosity is the quality that is our superpower in, in these relationships. Instead of going toward them with judgment and I have to control this. I got to get this under control. I got to, I got to stop this behavior. It's more of, hi, would you tell me why you're doing what you're doing? How are you trying to help me? What a shift, Molly. What a shift. Yeah. And people feel it in their bodies. As soon as they make that shift, calm tends to happen with connection because that's what all of us need, right? We need connection when we're struggling And so this is a way of bringing connection inside. And it's not to say we don't need those external sources of connection, but but often these strategies that we've used to survive are the very things that are blocking those external sources of connection, whether with God or other people. That's a great point. And so working on this internal connection will help you to experience, you know, interpersonal outside of you connections more. That's right. Yeah. I love the word curiosity. It's kind of one one of my things that I'm obsessed with, but I just, I feel, I feel it in my body when you said that, you know, just the shift that when we are 
no longer criticizing the things we don't like about ourselves or the things that are no longer adaptive or the things that we're embarrassed about, but we're curious about them. It's such a more loving stance and it feels like such a more productive way to connect with those parts of ourselves. That's right. It absolutely, we, we're bringing love inside. And in my book, one of the one of the threads that sort of evolved as I wrote the book was I kept recognizing this is the great commandment. This is the great commandment. I mean, wow. the wow. vision we're mm-hmm. given is to love God and love one another as we love ourselves. And unfortunately, in many spiritual communities, the loving ourselves gets dropped or, or criticized. <laughs> I mean, completely. Don't love yourself. That's selfish. Yeah. And we miss this whole dimension that is essential. And all of us are carrying around some degree of belief that we are not good enough, not worthy, not lovable, because that's an almost inevitable byproduct of being raised by imperfect parents. (laughs) Because who has perfect parents? There aren't any. I mean, I'm now a grandmother of four. Um, And, you know, I see this, it doesn't matter how well-intentioned and obviously, unfortunately, Sometimes people don't don't have what they need and are abused and all kinds of awful stuff. But even so-called good enough parents, it's never perfect. And as one of the parts of my book, I talk about some of the interpersonal neurobiology. I get into the neuroscience of how our brains form and because people really struggle with vulnerability. Like, why are we so vulnerable as humans? And we're afraid of it. We're afraid of vulnerability But when we really understand how our brains develop in relationship and the inevitable breaches of of attachment and things like that, we come to appreciate, gosh, look at this beautiful system. Yeah, I, I was wounded. And look what I did to survive this. And we can celebrate that and appreciate it. I want to know more about this neurobiology, Molly, and how we're formed. And, you know, tell us more about these primary relationships, right? Where our attachment styles are formed. Can you tell us more about, obviously there's all kinds of experiences we have, right? I mean, so we can't sum it up, but how we are impacted for good or for hard by our earliest caregivers and then going forward. Well, obviously it's a super complex topic, but one of the little nuggets that I think has been really helpful to me is understanding that our brain is designed to summarize our experiences. And in the literature, it's called making mental models. So we we kind of have a summary conclusion about our experiences that are made very early on. So these are what we call implicit memories. They aren't our explicit memories where we see pictures and we have a narrative and we can recall it. These are things our brain recalls and holds on to where we made meaning of experiences, and then they are used to make meaning of the present. So these mental models are informing our present experience, but we have no idea they're doing that. (laughs) And, And so fascinatingly, we can tap into those early experiences, even pre-verbal ones, um, because they are held in neural networks in our brains. That's how our brains function. Information is held in these neural networks. And I think of as we interact with these different parts of ourselves, that we are tapping into a neural network that holds experiences and stories. 
whether implicit or explicit. And we have an opportunity when we go back into those places in our brain where we've hold, held this information, we actually have an opportunity to reprocess things and, and create new experiences. And that is the relationship piece of, of this model. When, when the self, this loving, calm, connected entity in the system is connecting, say, with a very young part of someone's system, and they experience exactly what they needed at the time when something difficult happened. Maybe it was traumatic. Maybe it was just a, you know, a parent's just not as available as they need to be. We know from the research that parents tend to parent according to their own attachment styles if they haven't had an opportunity to do their own internal work. So maybe a parent's avoidant and the child just cries a lot. And the parent's like, well, kids are supposed to cry. But no, this little organism is being told, you don't matter. And we take that on as an organism, and then we adapt to it. And so when they are in the, in the presence of love and can say, oh, wow, this is how this was for me, and they can learn, I'm here for you now. What do you need me to do for you that wasn't done then? And this is all part of the healing process. Oh, it's so good. There's so much depth here. And I um, I feel like we need to do five more podcasts. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the, you know, the, this mental model that you described so well for everyone that we take these early experiences and then we meaning make, right? And we almost, I think of it sometimes like a lens, right? Now I'm going to look at my life through this lens. I don't matter, perhaps, you know, and so I'm going to look at my life through that. And, and so what I hear you saying and linking it to the internal family systems model and this idea of this internal community is that when we are curious and we are connected about these early experiences and these models in a loving way, we can revisit those models. We can bring love and healing to those early experiences that can help us then rewire those models that we can learn to see ourselves in our lives differently. And as we do that, and we have that, that the part of us holding the wounds and the burdens from those experiences can release them, then the protectors who've had their eye on them and have been doing whatever strategy they needed to do to keep us safe, they are freed up and also can release the burden of the job they've been doing because they don't, this isn't their essence. You know, now parts are intrinsic to the system. They were meant to be there. But the wounds happen, then the protective strategies happen. And when all that is released, then all these different parts of us just can take on the qualities they were always meant to bring to the whole system. You know, now we function as a, I think of an orchestra instead of the cacophony when they're tuning up and they're yeah. all sounding different. Sure. Uh-huh. And then they're all playing together in this beautiful harmony. That's the vision. I love that. And, and I want to shift it um, to talk a little bit about the Christian faith in particular, and this model. I want to do that acknowledging that not all listeners identify as Christians. A lot of listeners might identify as deconstructing or uncomfortable with Christianity. So I say that honoring all of those different presentations. And I would love to explore this with you a little bit. I think that one of the things that comes to mind for me, and let me see if I can put this into words as you're talking, is this internal community, this this way that God, I, I believe, has designed us to be able to heal, right? Even if someone let us down, even if 
there's not the perfect person in your life to be the perfect person to you. That there's this ecosystem internally that God has created that you're describing through the lens so powerfully of internal family systems. And I'm just curious, you know, your thoughts about that. You you referenced it earlier that God, you know, created us to be able to heal. Um, just kind of your thoughts about that and and a little bit more about the integration of God and this model. I love that that you talk about an ecosystem and and God creating this because I, I do believe However, I think it's mysterious how God yeah. created us. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. But I really, uh, for me, God is love. And so if we are created in God's image, then love is our is available to us and it's intrinsically who we are as well. It this model is what we call a constraint release model. So rather than, yeah, rather than believing that we and this is unfortunately a message that that's happening in spiritual communities that people are deconstructing from, which I think is a, a movement of the spirit. I think it is it is healing, and and I'm all for it because these toxic messages have been a way to control people. They have been protector led instead of spirit and self led. So protector led spiritual communities are all about power and control and etc. And what's beautiful about this is saying that we don't have to build the muscle of compassion. That is intrinsically a resource we possess, but it's gotten constrained by the wounds and by the protective strategies. And when we, so we get a, we have a whole new vision of ourselves as possessing these healing qualities. And yes, they got constrained and it is work. To release those constraints. Sure. I don't want yes. to minimize <laughs> right. that. Right. Yeah. But they're there. And that to me is much more congruent with a loving God who created us with the resources we need to navigate this life. Yes. Oh, Molly, I just, I love it so much. And I'm thinking of something I saw recently that I didn't agree with where someone was saying, you know, um, I don't know why I was watching this. That's another question, but I was curious. <laughs> um, someone was saying, you know, tell those, you know, anxious thoughts, get out of here. You know, just sort of that, you, you know, that whole idea, right? Which, you know, maybe I would have subscribed to 20 years ago myself, you know, I, because I didn't know any different. But there's there's so much rejection and so much, um, you know, get out of here, uh, imperfect parts of myself. And I have found that, we just don't heal that way. I mean, we just don't. And in fact, we become more rigid and, and sometimes more anxious, you know? And and so I wonder, I you know, just kind of piggybacking on what you said about how God is love and God has therefore endowed us with God's spirit to be able to heal internally. And just, you know, as we sort of start to move towards the end, this this really different idea of loving those hurting parts of ourselves in an integrative way with our faith. That's right. And one of the things, it's a great story. This researcher who developed the model was, uh, he's culturally Jewish. His his family were not um, religious Jews, didn't practice. His father, he says, was an atheist. And so he comes across, he comes, stumbles on these resources and, and said, he tried for every explanation and, and finally gave up and said, this is spiritual. 
he doesn't, he sees the, the, this spiritual energy in, in a variety of religious traditions. And with this bringing the love to our system, he went to a very conservative seminary to present this model. And he talks about feeling a little trepidation, like how are they going to receive this? Sure. And one of the participants said, oh, you're talking about doing inside what Jesus did outside. And it's, it's the same. You know, Jesus, Jesus pursued the exiles. Jesus pursued the wounded in need of healing. And Jesus, he did challenge what we would think of as, as protectors. So the religious leaders of his day were doing what they'd been taught to do. They thought they were right. They, and that's, I, you know, I believe that many, many religious leaders who, who are dominated by their protectors, they're doing the best they know how to do. They think that's what shepherding looks like. They think that legalism is the way <laughs> and it doesn't excuse that. And there's real harm done and we have to heal from that. But it does ultimately in the process of forgiveness, which is, which is something in the healing process often we encounter, even if a relationship isn't restored, recognizing, you know, that person is completely blended by protectors that have squelched their love. And that's why they're operating they, the way they are. That can free us up from feeling that that it's our fault and can free us up to spend our energy on our healing journey versus needing that person to change or, um, you know. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. Okay. As we wrap up today, Molly, you know, the, the last question I always ask is, you know, what is a person or event or experience that helped you become who we have the honor of sitting with today? And it doesn't have to be just one, but what comes to mind? Gosh. Well, since we've been talking about this model, I need to credit Dick Schwartz, Dr. Richard Schwartz, who developed the model. And I've, I've been very fortunate to spend time with him and was very honored in his book, No Bad Parts, which is a good book to pick up if you're interested. In it is model. a great book. Yeah. He acknowledged me as someone who's helped him understand the interact, the intersection of Christian faith and IFS. So that was a highlight of my professional life for sure. And he's a, he's a very humble person. <laughs> so he's in, informed my professional work quite a bit. Um, and of course, I've, I've been very blessed. I'm 41 years into a marriage uh, and we were down, our kids and grandkids live in San Diego and we were down there for Easter and sitting in the living room with our, all of our children and our, their, their spouses and their children. And I looked at my husband and I said, like, this is here because of us. It's this yeah, moment wow. of like, wow. You know, wow. and just the commitment and the faithfulness mm -hmm. and the, yes. uh, it's a journey. It's a journey. And uh, I'm grateful for, being privileged to be on this journey. Oh gosh. Okay. Um, it's such a joy, Molly. And you know, the, that book, no, no bad parts, um, is an incredible book. And I just, it's a huge book, Molly. That's a huge, that would be a highlight of my professional career too. I mean, that is really, uh, amazing. And I just, I'm grateful for your wisdom, for the way that you communicate it and for this time together. So thanks for coming on. Thanks so much. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Molly as much as I did. 
I hope that you learned more about internal family systems and if it's applicable to you, integrating your own faith with a psychological understanding of your internal world. I hope more than anything, you're walking away with more curiosity and more compassion for all the parts of yourself. That is one of the best ways that all of us can learn to grow, to change, and to heal. If you would like to learn more about Molly and all the work she's doing in the world, I will have all of her links in the show notes and also over on my website to her book, to her Instagram, and everything else that she's doing in the world. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit monicadecristina.com where you can sign up for my regular newsletter or follow along on Instagram. You can find me at Monica DeCristina. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Still Becoming wherever you listen to podcasts if you like what you heard here today. This episode was edited and sound designed by the team at Sound On Studios. You can find out more about their work at soundonsoundoff.com.